Two Sundays ago, we talked about being a disciple. A disciple receives, 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 receives. Those disciples that followed Jesus, they just received. But God and Jesus didn't want them just to be disciples. He wanted them to become ministers. What is minister? Well, we learned last Sunday, a minister is someone who serves. Ministry means service. And I want you to think right now, where am I serving? Where do I serve? And do, do I serve? <laughs> and if you say, I'm serving a sick family member, you're a servant. Praise God. That's good. He who doesn't take care of his own is worse than an infidel. <laughs> so if you're serving your family, a needy family member, man, good for you. Keep on doing it. Um, I'll tell you what, that's, that's an opportunity for service. Are you serving those that you work with? Think about that. Do I serve those who I work with? Well, I hope the answer is yes. Do, how can I serve somebody that I'm working with? Well, you can encourage them. You can show them maybe a trick or a tip of how they can do their job better. You can, you can help them improve. If you see challenge them, maybe they're not doing a good job and you challenge them, you're serving them. That's service, all right? Serve your family. Serve those who you work with. Serve the church. And I asked this last Sunday. When was the last time? This is never condemning. Please, please don't take this this way. It's challenging, all right? When was the last time you went and visited somebody that was in the hospital? Or when was the last time maybe you took a meal to somebody that was in need? Or when was the last time that you saw maybe a financial need and you pulled out a $20 bill and said, here, let me help you out here a little bit? When was the last time? And I challenge you to, to man, I hope that time wasn't too long ago. And if it was, today's a new day. You get a chance to serve, 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 minister, minister, minister. So a disciple receives a minister overflows because they've been filled up with so many good things from the Lord. We're talking about being transformed into a minister. All right. And so um, let's let's just quickly review. I gave you last Sunday, we started <laughs> on five building blocks of ministry, five building blocks of ministry. And this has helped me at work. This has helped me as a parent. This has helped me in, in uh, my personal life, even in my marriage. And the first building block of a minister is selflessness. Selflessness. What is selflessness? It's the absence of self. <laughs> All right? You know, we talked about when there's selfishness, there's internal politics, and you never know if you're walking on eggshells. I might get in trouble if I do something wrong or say something wrong. And we've all experienced this in some form or fashion. Where there's selflessness, all of that just disappears because people are acting selflessly. And you don't have to worry if you're going to hurt somebody's feeling or say the wrong thing. All right? And so if you are going to be a minister in a church and overflow, you have to do so selflessly. You have to. If you're thinking about me, 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 and how I've been hurt or how I can improve, you know, make myself uh, visible to everybody, you can't minister in a church. So you, that's, that's something that's just absolutely fundamental. That pride has got to go. Um, and so uh, someone who is selfless is someone who as a disciple has been teachable. Teachable. Someone who is lets people speak into their lives. If they're corrected, they receive the correction. If you know, if if I need to fix something, and let's say um, I don't know, Fletcher tells me, "Hey, Steve, you need to, you know, you really need to think about this." I should listen to him. Maybe he's he's got something good for me. I need to be teachable. 
as I am more and more teachable, I become less and less selfish. Isn't that something? And the opposite of selfishness, we know, is love. And I hope this week that you read some, some scriptures about love. We gave out 1 Corinthians 13, and again, this week is another scripture on Monday, set of scriptures, I believe it's in 1 John, uh, about love. And so we've got, to, we've got to be loving. It's a building block to ministry is love, selflessness. Love. Sometimes it's good. If we talk about love too much, love's definition gets kind of vague and ambiguous. So we throw out another word like selflessness to kind of reinvigorate what what love means, what it actually entails. And remember that love equals action. If we're not showing love, we don't really have love. The second thing that we talked about last Sunday was clarity. A building block to ministry. You can't serve in a church if you don't know what your purpose is. you got to have clarity of purpose. Otherwise, you'll be jumping around here and there and everywhere. And a, a, funda- a, a discipleship fundamental uh, piece of clarity is faithfulness. Have I been able to serve in a church and stayed focused for any period of time and proven that I'm faithful Therefore, I have clarity of thought, clarity of purpose, clarity of where I'm going and what I'm trying to accomplish, all right? And so we need to strive for clarity because you remember what the opposite of clarity is? Confusion. How many of us hate, despise confusion? Walk around in a fog, not knowing where we're going, what we're doing, what the next step is. We've got to have clarity, and clarity comes, remember, from God's call on our life. When God calls you, you begin to have clarity because you know what God has called you to aim for. We need God's call in our lives. And, and so uh, if we have clarity, then we're not overwhelmed by life circumstances and so on and so forth. And so it's very, very important that we have this calling. And again, that faithfulness helps us with that clarity. So let's launch into the third thing. All right. The third building block to ministry that I've found is enthusiasm enthusiasm. Um, Enthusiasm will drive you to succeed much, much, much more than self-discipline will will drive you. Self-discipline will fizzle out after a while. The only reason why someone is self-disciplined is because something inside of them causes them to be self-disciplined. So if I go to my kids and I tell them over and over, let's say Sarah's a slob. She's not, thank goodness. Let's say her room is a mess, and I tell her every day, Sarah, go clean your room, go clean your room, go clean your She'll do it, but it's going to drain me in the process because I'm the one driving her. What if we could figure out something inside of Sarah that would cause her to want to clean her room, to be enthusiastic and passionate about cleanliness and a made-up bed and a vacuumed floor and put-up clothes. What if she wanted to do that? That's what enthusiasm does. It's an internal trigger that gets people doing what they want, what, what they should do, enthusiasm. All right. So what does enthusiasm mean? Enthusiasm literally means God inside. (laughs) God inside. The more of God I get inside of me, the more enthusiastic I'm going to be. And I'm going to want to do the very things that I should do anyways. All right. Because God is inside of me. The Bible says that God 
works inside of me to make me want and to will to do the very things that he wants me to do. So the parent, and I'm speaking to parents right now, the grandparent, whoever you are, and you're trying to influence that grandchild, that child, nagging them and pushing them and punishing them is not going to work in the long haul. (laughs) You've got to figure out what triggers inside your child, your grandchild are there to make them want to do the very things that you want them to do. And you say, well, how do I do that? Pray. (laughs) Pray. Stop being so thick-headed and pushy and start saying, you know what? I'm going to start seeing what's inside this child of mine and seeing what God's destiny is for their life. And I'm going to start cooperating with the Holy Spirit to get this child moving in the right direction. So you pray and God begins to give you insight and you begin to understand. It says, the Bible says, if you train up a child in the way that they should go, in the end, they won't depart from it. And that, that word train has a lot to do with looking inside the child and seeing what their makeup is and working within their strengths and their callings and their destiny to get them to where they need to go. I'll never forget, Sarah loved horses when, when she was a little girl. And we went and watched these horses from Austria, I think it was. I can't remember what they were called. The Dancing Bazaners. I don't know what they were. But anyways, there are these huge, beautiful horses. And I was shocked. They danced to music. These horses clip-clop. And they're like, there's all this beautiful Austrian orchestra music. And they're dancing. And then they do all this. And they're synchronized. They do better than human beings do. And it was amazing. I'll never forget it. The guy that orchestrated all this came out at, at halftime, if you call it that, whatever, intermission. And, um, and he began to explain how they train these horses. Well, these horses are all, he said, all these horses are late bloomers. We let them just be horses for the first four or five years of their life. But as they're running around and eating grass and doing, we start watching to see what they're good at. And we notice that some of them are good at kind of scooting backwards. And others are good at kind of raising and doing their, their whatever, you know. And, and as we watch, then we begin to work with their strengths and get them to do what they love to do anyways. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if we as parents and grandparents would do the same thing? Let our kids be kids. Just let them be kids. Watch them. See what they're good at. All right? And then work with them to begin to to burst forth in their strengths, their talents, their giftedness. Well, that's going to produce a lot of enthusiasm in our children. And if you're a boss, do the same thing. Watch what your people are good at and try to position them in those areas of strength so they can flourish and enjoy what they do. That enthusiasm will overflow, will begin to overflow. Well, you know what? As a disciple, if you're not receiving, you're never going to overflow with enthusiasm. So important as a disciple just to receive from the Lord until you can finally overflow with that passion, that inner desire, that fire. All right? Our kids, let me tell you, I'm sorry I'm talking to parents so much today. Our kids will never be exactly like us. So why should I go and try to create a little clone of Steve Norman? That'd be disastrous anyways. The world can only handle one Steve Norman, all right, and all his weaknesses, all right? I need for my kids to let them just be themselves, all right? 
I'm not going to push my kids to be a musician if they don't want to be a musician, all right? Uh, some of my kids have very good voices, but they don't want to get up here and sing. Am I going to push them to sing? No. I'm going to let them be themselves, all right? Now, I, there's times when you kind of push your kids because you see, hey, they could really thrive here if they're just a little, little, you know, kicking the tail in and, and they'll get going, all right? That's fine. But you know what? We need to let that just, that inner passion come up and sometimes just let them be late bloomers. Let them grow up at their pace. Don't push them. Let them grow up at their pace and get to where they need to be. I didn't become a good student until I was in 11th grade, 11th grade. And so you parents that are overachievers with your children, they'll get there. <laughs> they'll get there. You just support them, encourage them, they'll get there. All right, so listen to this, though. The disciples, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, those 120 people in Acts 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what? They were filled with enthusiasm to last a lifetime, to see them through martyrdom and persecution. That is what God does. When he fills us, he enthuses us. And we have the passion to see ourselves through. Because you know what? Um, uh, Self-discipline will fizzle out after a while. It always does. You only do what you do of the long haul because you like to do it, because you want to do it. And so the Holy Spirit enthuses us. He fills us with excitement so that when we see God's purpose for our life, his giftings for our calling, we get excited. And that's, that's all you can ask for somebody is to get excited about life, excited about the purpose of God in their lives. Here's Philippians 2.13, my paraphrase, okay? I'm gonna, you're not going to be able to find it in your Bibles exactly in these words. But God works inside of you to make you want and to will to do God's purpose. God does that. It doesn't come from out, external sources. It comes from external, internal sources. All right. So the... the uh, the discipleship root of enthusiasm is, again, receiving so much that we overflow. Another, another source of enthusiasm is just being available to God, saying, hey, what do you have for me today, God? What's your purpose for me today? And you get excited when God uses you today. And then you get to be used by God tomorrow. And not used in a bad way, but you're, you're in agreement with God. He has a purpose. He has a plan for every day of your life. And that will excite you when you see God's fruitfulness in your life as you make yourself available to him. All right. Number four. Uh, this is a building blocks for ministry. Number four is, let, let me go back just one second. You can't serve in church if you're not enthusiastic. <laughs> You just can't do it because you know what? You won't be having fun. And when you don't have fun, you stop serving. And when you stop serving, then you start worrying, what are people thinking about me? Then one Sunday morning you say, I feel more comfortable not going to church because I'm worried about what they think about me because I wasn't enthusiastic about I was serving. And before you know it, you quit church. So in order to serve in church, you have to have enthusiasm. <laughs> you just have to. Just like you can't have a job and not be enthusiastic about it. Eventually, you will quit your job because you hate it, all right? You have to like what you do. All right, so number four, stable loyalty. Stable loyalty is a requisite. It's required if you're going to serve in God's church some level of stable 
loyalty. Let's talk about that. So picture this, and I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, I was somewhere in Mississippi. I can't remember where. And I was at a restaurant, a really good restaurant, fried chicken. They have really good fried chicken in Mississippi, Mississippi. And I was probably with about 10 people, and a lot of them were maintenance technicians from the property that's part of the company that I work at. And so right across from me was probably about a 270-pound mean-looking man with his a polo that says our company logo on it, you know, and, and all the rest of them. And I would ask these people, I'd say, what's your favorite building block of these five building blocks that I'm talking about? Because we use this at work. I said, what's your favorite building block? And one person said, I love selflessness. And I'd say, so I'm eating my chicken while they're talking. Um, I'd say, well, why do you like selflessness? As I take another bite and selflessness. And they would describe, well, I like selflessness because that and the other. And I asked another person and they were all talking, but this one guy is sitting in front. He's just glaring at me. He's not smiling. He doesn't think this is a fun conversation. And he's got both elbows on the table. He's not eating. He's just staring at me. And he's like, as close as me and to Jenny, about this close. <laughs> all right, so I, I don't feel very comfortable, except that I'm enjoying the chicken and the sweet iced tea that I'm, I'm sipping on. So finally, I kind of take just a glance at me, and he finally he sees that we've got eye contact, and he says, do I have to be loyal? I said, no, actually, he said, do I have to be loyal to this company? That's what it was. He said, do I have to be loyal to this company? And all the eyes turned on me because they could tell <laughs> that there was going to be an interesting conversation here. And I said, you know what? No, you don't have to be loyal to this company. And his face just totally changed, like, what are you talking about? I said, you don't have to be loyal to this company, but you need to be loyal to the people at this table, the people that you work with. You get, and I pointed to his boss, and I said, you need to be loyal to her. <laughs> and everybody kind of laughed at that, you know. But his whole demeanor changed, because here I was just a corporate guy, you know, a guy from who knows where, he's coming in, he's telling us what to do. He, he didn't like all of that, but as soon as he realized he needed to be loyal to his teammates, and he needed to be loyal to his boss, ah, oh, hey, I can deal with that. That's okay, I can, I, I can change. It was so cool. I saw this, this, this happened about six, seven years ago. <laughs> and I was just at a, our company conference just a few months ago, and this guy comes walking up to me, beaming from face to face, and he walks up to me, he says, hey, do you remember me? I was, no, <laughs> sorry, man. He said, I'm the guy that you talked to, and all, it all came back to me. Well, he's a little bit shorter than I remembered, a little not quite as big, not as intimidating, all right? And, and we got to talk, and he had been promoted up to community, or excuse me, maintenance director over that whole property because I guarantee it had something to do with loyalty. I guarantee you it had something to do with loyalty. Man, I'll tell you what, loyalty produces stability. Do you know how much people want stability in their lives? They want stable marriages. They want stable thinking. They want stable emotions. You know what produces stability? Loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty to your spouse. Loyalty to your kids. Loyalty to your boss. Loyalty to your church. Loyalty to God produces that stability that you want so desperately in your life. I'll tell you this. I'm going to 
probably step on somebody's toes. But then once you hear the whole thing, you'll say, oh, he didn't step on my toes. You'll just, but hear me out, all right? You can't serve in a church unless you're loyal to the pastor. It just doesn't work. Think about it. It just doesn't make common sense. If you don't buy in to the guy or the gal that's leading the charge, you can't serve them. It just doesn't work. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I was at this church for a long time, and for two years, I didn't say it in so many words, I thought to myself, I can't be loyal to him. I can't be loyal. And eventually, I left the church. All right? And good, bad, or indifferent, I don't, you don't need to hold, know the whole story. I just couldn't be loyal to the pastor. And so I left the church. And God fortunately called me away. So I'll tell you right now, you're in this church, and in the back of your mind you're saying, I just can't buy into this guy. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. I don't know where he's going. I don't know what his plan is. I don't, whatever it is that is going through your mind about me, I would tell you, find a church that you can be loyal to the pastor to because you're not going to be able to get to that place of serving in the church if you don't feel confidence in the person who's, who's leading and feel like you can trust the person. Does that make sense? So this isn't, this isn't like, you better be loyal to me. <laughs> no, but if you're going to stay here, you better be loyal to me. <laughs> you know, you better find it inside of yourself to be loyal, because then and only then can you be released to be able to serve and serve freely because you, you're not apprehensive, you're not worried about me in particular. And so... Um, as in all my years, so I grew up in the church. My parents were missionaries starting churches in Spain. And then we came back and I joined a church in Waxahachie, Texas. And then I came here and joined another church. And now I'm in this church. All right. In all my years, the number one reason why people quit churches is they can't be loyal to the pastor. They just can't do it. That's the underlying reason why people quit churches. And so, you know, if you feel called to this church, or you feel called to any church, make sure you can connect with a leader of that church. Make sure that you can do it, because then you will be free to be able to serve in just a wonderful, powerful, effective way. And I ask you, be, if you are going to be, be loyal to me, if you have a problem with something that I say or do or whatever, come talk to me. Come talk to me. We'll discuss it. Hopefully, it'll bring clarity to what your questions are. I believe this. Everybody deserves an explanation. I learned this a long time ago. Everybody always deserves an explanation. There's this guy at work that just amazes me. He reported to me for a long time. I would ask him the same dumb question. I remember counting once. I asked him the same question five times. And he patiently would explain the answer to me all five times. Never got tired of answering the question. And like the last three times I said, oh my word, Joe, I'm so sorry I asked that question. <laughs> you already explained that to me, all right? But everybody deserves an explanation. And as that relates to me, it also relates to you. I should be able to ask you a question and you'd be okay with explaining something to me. Or it goes for your children. If your children ask, why do I have to do that? explain it to them. It's okay. I mean, if they're, tell them, you know, if I tell you to do something, do it, and I'll explain it afterwards, just in case it's a safety issue. But I will always explain why we do what we do, because as soon as people understand what we're doing, 
then they can, they, you know, they're, they're more willing to, to accept it, all right? So it's wonderful. Loyalty leads to stability. And then Joyce Myers tells us that stability releases ability. And I believe that with all my heart. When you're a stable person, your abilities start to just, you know, morph and grow and, and increase, all right? So it's so important for us to be stable, stable. God has called us to, to churches. Every Christian should be in a church somewhere. Every Christian. You can't worship at home effectively for a long period of time. Now, if you're sick, that you're sick. But let me tell you, find a church and serve in a church and believe in that church. Realize that church has all kinds of you know, weaknesses and problems. I mean, <laughs> this is not a perfect church. You'll never find one. But you know what? Find a church, buy into its vision, and be loyal to the pastor and serve your head off. Serve your head off, all right? Faithfulness, by the way, is the root of loyalty, all right? As a disciple, you grow in faithfulness, and it grows into loyalty. Number five, fruitful results, all right? A building block to effective ministry and an effective minister is fruitful results. God never, ever called you to do something, his purpose, and then fail at it. He never, ever, ever called his disciples to go do this and then just expect them to fail. God wants you to succeed at his purpose and at his calling for your life. He expects it, he wants it, and it will happen if you're faithful in fulfilling God's call for your life. All right? So serving in ministry produces results, period. It just does. It just does. And they might be a long time in coming sometimes. You may not see all the results and the fruit, but God produces daily fruit in what you do for his calling. Let me give you some examples. First of all, there's the fruit of the Spirit. If you're doing what God calls you to do, you're going to see the fruit of love come up. You're going to see the, root, or the fruit of, of peace and patience and long-suffering and gentleness all its self-control, these fruits are going to come up on a daily basis. If you serve God, you will see results. You will. And if you don't see results, you should kind of back off and say, you know, am I doing what God wants me to do? Is, am I missing something? You know, it's not that you're off on the wrong path, but maybe he's trying to teach you something in the process. That's some fruit. You can, you'll also, as you serve God, you will see yourself grow spiritually. You will see it. It'll be a fruit. It'll be the result of what you do. If you serve God, you will see those around you inspired by what you're doing. People will look at you, and they will begin to stand up and want to serve as well because they see the fruit of what you're doing. Another thing is instantly as you serve, you will see people's needs met. That's fruit right there. That's results right there. If you serve somebody, that means you're meeting their need, and you can see that need met, therefore. All right? Uh, as you serve, you will be blessed by God. You will receive an internal blessing of uplifting of your spirits, an encouragement of your spirit. Every time you serve, you will be blessed by it, and that's a result in and of itself. And you will see that people's knowledge of God will grow as they watch you serve. 
That's a fruit as well. That's a result. God never called you to minister and be a failure. He called you to be a success at what God, what he's called you to, to do. Look at this. John 15, 8, it says, It's to my Father's glory that you, my disciples, bear much fruit. Have results showing yourself to be my disciples. Praise God. Um, look at look at some of these scriptures here. Second Chronicles 31, 21. This one you're going to actually want to mark down and study, digest, chew on it a little bit. It's Second Chronicles 31, 21. And it's referring to this king named Hezekiah. It says, In everything that he, this is King Hezekiah, undertook, everything he undertook in the service of God's temple, all right? So it was God's purpose. Everything that he did related to God's purpose and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought God and he worked wholeheartedly. And so, listen to this, so he prospered. You can be sure if you do what God tells you to do and you fulfill God's calling for your life, you can be sure that you're going to prosper at it. You can be positive. So if God calls you to be an attorney and you go and study and you go be an attorney, God's going to bless you in what you do. All right? If God calls you to, to be a mechanic and you go and you work at it with all your heart, and you seek God as you're doing, you can be sure God's going to prosper you in that. If God calls you to be a doctor, a businessman, a businesswoman, whatever it is, if God calls you to serve in your church, which he does, <laughs> and you decide, okay, I'm going to start serving my church, he's going to prosper you in the service of God within the body of believers. He will prosper you. If God's called you to be a parent, a grandparent, which he has, He's going to prosper you at being a parent and a grandparent. You just believe that because it's the truth, it's the word of God. As you seek God and you serve God, God is going to cause you to prosper in what you do for him. He's going to cause you to prosper. Look at 2 Chronicles 26.5. This is King Uzziah. And King Uzziah saw a difference he sought God part of the time and saw prosperity, and then he didn't seek God the other time, and he quit seeing God prosper what he was putting his hands to. Second Chronicles 26, verse 5, it says, He, this is King Uzziah, sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord, or in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, he, God gave him success. God gave him success. Second Chronicles 26, verse 5. Let me tell you what. We seek God. We serve God. He will cause you to prosper in what you're doing. Now, tell you what. You go off, say, I'm going to go start a business. And you go off on your own, and you're still seeking God, but you're doing your own thing. Well, don't expect that to prosper, you know. <laughs> and I, wonder, I want to make sure we understand what prosperity is, because there's the prosperity doctrine out there. There's prosperity in what the world calls prosperity. Remember this. Prosperity is succeeding at doing what God calls you to do. That's prosperity. Does everybody understand that? Succeeding in doing what God has called you to do. And in the process, God does bless you in these things, wants, enjoyment, you know, maybe even finances, maybe this, maybe that. But at the end of the day... 
The only prosperity I want is God succeeding me, helping me to succeed at doing what he's called me to do. And that's why next week we're going to talk about God's calling, and the following week we're going to talk about God's gifting, because all of this kind of goes hand in hand. The last verse that I'll read to you, I love this, is in 3 John 2. Now, 3 John only has one chapter, okay? So when I say 2, it's verse 2, all right? So 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. In other words, the way your soul prospers, the blessings inside of God, the joy that God gives, the presence of God in your life, the richness of his word, that kind of prosperity that it would translate onto the external side so that you, God, sees prosperity in all of your life, in everything, externally, uh, in, in what you, how you work and how you parent and in your marriage and your health and everything. God, so what I want to do, I want my soul to prosper. Because the way my soul prospers is the way my life is going to prosper as well. Does that make sense? All right. Praise God. Five building blocks to service and ministry. Now say this. You can't serve without results. <laughs> Think about it. Anything that you do and you don't see some kind of results becomes very discouraging. Very discouraging. And so if you go into the mentality, I'm going to serve God, but I don't think he's going to bless what I do. Well, you're destined for failure. <laughs> no, you go in and say, God's given me this purpose and God's going to bless what he's called me to do. And I believe that. And I'm going to live that way and I'm going to act that way. Amen. All right. So five building blocks. You know, I need to be selfless. I need to have clarity through God's calling. I need to have enthusiasm flowing out of me. I need some level of great level of stable loyalty, and I need to see results. Some of them are going to be results just from me, just from being blessed in what I do, fruits of the Spirit, but I'm also going to see results whenever I put my hand to the plow, God's plow, and say I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Let's pray.